Good evening, and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome to the final episode of this abysmal year. I can't thank you enough for joining us here this evening. I have one hell of a program slated for us tonight. One jam-packed with stories of terror, mystery, and intrigue. True stories of the paranormal. But before we kick it off, a quick thank you to everyone that joined us on last week's live holiday special. We had all sorts of fun, shared the world premiere of The Shadows in the Desert trailer, gave away some prizes for trivia. Good friend David Flora from Blurry Photos and Quiz Quiz Bang Bang stopped by to give away some of my stuff. And we held our first ever Amongsties Award a Dunder Mifflin-inspired award ceremony to celebrate some of our most devoted fans. Now, if you missed all this, you can catch a replay anytime by visiting Monsters Among Us podcast on Facebook or YouTube. Thanks again, everyone. It was an amazing time. But you didn't come here to hear announcements. You came here to hear spooky stories. Stories like this one from Josh in Alaska. Hi, my name is Josh. I'm from Alaska. I know this ain't got nothing to do with ghosts or UFOs or any of that, but, well, it might, actually. Every time I leave my area, right after I leave the house, I get to the end of the road, take the main road out to the highway to where I head towards work, And uh, that first corner right after my road, for some reason, it seems like a literal dead zone. Like, if I've got a passenger, it doesn't happen. Um, I've talked to a few other people, and I get on and off reports. Oh, yeah, I have it happen, too. Oh, it doesn't happen. That's not real. The usual. But right after that corner, it's always like a blackout. And I don't come back, too, until I hit the airport at the end of the road. And it is pretty much every day. Conditions don't make a difference. All timing may make a difference. If I leave in the middle of the day, it doesn't happen. But on my way out in the mornings, about 7, 8 o'clock, every single day, all that time is lost. I don't know what happens. It doesn't happen on the way back in. But for some reason, that one single corner outbound just causes time loss or something like that it freaks me out honestly because the road is incredibly winding you know if if it's just something with me that could be dangerous but if it's something else and i'm actually fully aware of it i don't remember there are a lot of other reports of strange happenings uh, knocking on trees we've heard some things in the middle of winter that were even too big to be a bear and Honestly, shouldn't have been a bear in the first place because winter, they're hibernating. But there's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens out in the area. And I got so many reports, just personal experience that I can't fit it all into one call. But I love the show. So far, it's my favorite. Keep up the good work, man. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Not every call has to have a monster in it. To be considered spooky. A particular spot in the road that devours time 
I think that's certainly qualifying. Now my quick suggestion for Josh is to purchase a $50 dash camera, or at the very least, hit record on your phone and prop that puppy up in the dashboard. Now although I will admit, I have no idea what to expect to show up on this video. Be it aliens, a vortex, a portal, forced folk, or just a ordinary boring corner. That's literally so uninteresting that drivers, including Josh, forget that they even traversed through it. But regardless of what's discovered, I'm anxious to get to the bottom of it. But to be honest, I can't be the only one that's been driving along, only to realize I don't recall the last few miles. It happens to me more often than I'd like to admit. And I'd always assumed that it was a form of autopilot my brain activated. I was paying attention, but nothing interesting happened, so my brain didn't really register it. At least I hope that's what's going on. But with all logical explanations aside, there's another place that is world famous for this very activity. Among a laundry list of other strange phenomena. And here, to breach the subject, is Patty, from my home state of Ohio. Hey Derek, this is Patty from Ohio. I just have a quick story. This actually happened in Mexico, in the state of Durango. My parents are from a very small town there called Antonio Amaro. And um, I'll just add real quick that this town is about two hours south of the Zone of Silence, also in the state of Durango. If you look at it on a map, it's almost directly in line with each other. Like, even if you look up the coordinates, they're almost perfectly in line with each other. It's probably closer than two hours, but the terrain is pretty rough, so... We used to go all the time every summer when I was younger in junior high and high school. And one particular trip, can't remember exactly how old I was. I was probably about 15 or 16. I love to stargaze out there. It, it's so dark. You can see so many stars. That you can literally see the layers of the stars. You can tell that they're layered almost. It's so magical to look at. Anyways, I was just sitting outside stargazing. And I noticed that one star starts moving. At first, I was thinking, you know, like my eyes are out of focus or whatever. So I blink a couple times and look, and it's just this one star that's moving. Nothing else around it is moving. And it's just, I don't even know. It's like it, it's darting from one side to the other, like in this little space. But it, you can tell it's far, far away. I don't even know why it would be doing that. If it was like a UFO or something, why would it dart back and forth? And I just don't see the purpose in that. But it was weird. And then all of a sudden, it was gone. Just like that. In the blink of an eye, it was gone. I probably sat there probably just a couple minutes watching it. And like it just went back and forth. Maybe it wasn't even back and forth now that I think about it. Maybe, maybe it was two ships or something, you know, like, flashing at each other or something. I don't know. It was so far away. I couldn't, you know, make out a shape or something. All I could see was this light. It looked like a star that was moving, but nothing else was moving around it. It was just starting back and forth. And I didn't know about the zone of silence until years later 
but when I did find out about the zone of silence, I couldn't help but wonder if maybe there were extraterrestrials that come there or something. I don't know. But I thought it was interesting, and I just wanted to share it with you guys. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Patty. Now, if you miss the connection, I'm, of course, referring to the Zone of Silence, a mysterious piece of land nestled in the Mexican desert some 400 miles south of San Antonio, Texas. It's an area that's been known throughout history for having massive levels of interference with all kinds of electronic systems, from planes flying overhead, uh, the instruments on board the aircraft will suddenly go haywire, navigation systems as well as radio communications. Because no radio signal penetrates here, the area is called the Zone of Silence. The term was first coined in the 1930s by the legendary Mexican aviator Francisco Sarabia, who reported losing all radio communication while flying over the park. Other strange phenomena have been observed in the area. Since the mid-19th century, farmers have reported bizarre precipitation searing hot stones falling from the sky. These sizzling chunks of rock that come out of the sky and they impact everything in sight in this area. Uh, we have heard reports of roofs being damaged, of livestock that are out in the fields being struck and seriously hurt or killed by these flaming chunks of rock. This region is one of the most active meteorite sites in the world. Well, that clip courtesy of the Travel Channel program, Mysteries at the National Parks. And if what they claim is to be believed, the Swatch of Mexican Desert is a collector of all sorts of things. Big things. In fact, back in July 1970, an Athena rocket launched from Utah crashed in the zone of silence. When Mexican and American military set out to recover the debris, they learned of the area's many mysteries. So let's look at it this way, Josh. At least you don't have molten rock falling on your head. And Patty, it's always amazing to hear a story from that region. There's not much information out there on the subject, so your call was very beneficial. Thanks again to you both for calling in. And if you too would like to submit a true paranormal story, Simply call the Monsters Among Us hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. So I like to say that I have a lot to get through on a particular episode. And I usually mean it. But tonight, I really do have a higher than normal slate of calls to share with you. So since I'm into that whole brevity thing, let's get back to the action with Stacy's entry out of the state of Mississippi. Hi, Derek. It's Casey from Mississippi. Just giving you a call to let you know about my most recent, I guess, encounter. So my entire life, I've always heard uh, my name being called, normally in my mom's voice. One of the earliest instances, I had to be probably no, no more than six or seven. Um, mom called me from the other side of the house. I went in to see what she wanted and she told me she didn't call me well this past christmas so christmas 2020 go figure my mom and my sister had come up to visit 
so it was my mom, my sister, my husband, myself, and my eight-month-old son. As I was cooking dinner, I heard my mom call me, poked my head in the room, and asked her what she needed, said she didn't call me. Okay, fine, whatever. Went back to cooking. A couple hours later, all of us were in the living room. My mom was holding my son. My husband was watching football. And my sister and myself were installing a new thermostat. As we're doing this, I heard my mom call my name, or whisper it, really. She, like I said, she was holding my son, so I thought she was trying to get my attention to show me him doing something. So I looked over, and not only did she not call me, she was facing the completely opposite direction, watching the TV. So I mentioned to her, I was like, well, I guess she didn't call me that time, huh? And she's like, no, I didn't. Well, what really gets me is that my sister says right after that, yeah, well, I heard mom call you too. So I don't know what it is that's imitating my mom, but apparently I'm not the only one that hears it now. So thanks for everything you do. Bye. Thanks, Stacy. Those mimicry stories are always creepy. Now, I don't know if it's the idea that something can imitate us, or that whatever it is that uses that ability does so to lure us away. But, regardless of which part creeps you out the most, the fact that someone else heard it as well at least tells us it's not simply in your head. So thanks again, Stacy, for sharing that eerie entry. Now next up is an array of the strange and unusual. Please welcome Eric back to the program. Hey Derek, this is Eric. I'm down in Georgia, originally from California. Thank you so much for the show. Uh, I was listening to some recent episodes and someone had mentioned um, a lady discussed uh, her, her husband and his brother seeing two men speaking and neither of them had faces. Well, when I was studying abroad in Italy, my sophomore year of college in 2009 through 2010, I hadn't been there for about three weeks. I came home, I had been out on my own, and I was changing, and my uh, window faces the front street, and it's uh, four lanes of traffic, and in the middle of the opposite ways of traffic, there's like a park. I'm two stories up, and I basically can see three stories down to this little park, and the only way you get down there is from bridges at ends of the block. So from my view, I can see where the street ends, two, three blocks left, two, three blocks right. Well, I'm changing, and there's a, a girl, a woman. Looks like she's wearing, like, a brown leather jacket, some, like, bell-bottom jeans. Looks like, you know, a co-ed. She's in fit shape. Her hair is blowing in the wind, but no face. And when I say no face, I mean it was almost as if she had a hat on or there was, like, a shadow. It just seemed like... It was just this blurred darkness. Like, I just could not make out a face. But her hair is, you know, I could see how long her hair is. It's, like, a little bit past her shoulder. So I wake up my roommate, and I'm like, yo, like, get up. Like, do you see this? Do you see this lady? And he's like, yeah, I see her. We're trying to wave at her, get her to respond. She's just holding a purse. She's looking at us. I concluded that she was a girl that is known for going missing in the 1980s when they first started letting American students study abroad in Florence. I changed my t-shirt, my roommate went to hop back in his bunk, and I looked back out there and there was not a soul in sight. She was absolutely gone. And even if she had sprinted full speed to run up the stairs at the ends of the block either way, 
there's no way any person have been able to vacate the area from that fast. Besides that, I also heard a girl talk about like a faceless ghost woman in a red dress. I was having a dream and I was having like a night terror. I didn't like necessarily see the lady, but I could feel it in my spirit. And in the dream, these clothes are getting slung out of a closet. Um, actually, my cousin is there. Uh, it's like the dormitory there in Italy. And the ghost this is like this woman in a red dress, and I can tell she's trying to possess him. And as his older cousin, like I, like my little brother, I'm going to protect him. I just like basically sacrifice myself, and I can feel this like almost near possession trying to surge its way up through my body, and I'm fighting so that it does not get into my head. And I'm screaming, help me, help me. My roommate, I come to, and he's like, are you all right? And I'm, I was taking a nap. It was the middle of the day. And I'm like, yeah, I just had a crazy weird dream. And he was like, yeah, you were just speaking Italian in your sleep. You were screaming, aiutami, aiutami, which means help me, help me in Italian. So that was really weird. I definitely never thought I would ever like feel anything near like a possession. Like I've been baptized in the Jordan River. I believe in Jesus Christ. So I surely, surely, surely uh, did not anticipate anything like that happening. But I, I do believe that my faith carried me through. So I'm grateful for that. In that same place in Italy, I remember a classmate of mine, once I realized this place was really haunted, she came out of this little foyer that had a piano in it. She was Skyping someone. And uh, she just looked like she had seen a ghost. And we were like, what's going on? She was like, I was video chatting someone. And they asked me, who is this old lady sitting behind me? And she said, I'm the only person in this small little room. And they were like, no, there's an old lady that just sat down behind you. And that's what they were seeing on their video screen. So <laughs> have fun with that one. Don't get in nightmares. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. That is some spooky stuff. Now, it should be mentioned that the faceless person phenomena has been discussed before. And I happen to know it will be discussed again, as Eric's isn't the only entry I have in that category. But what I believe to be the most hair-raising element of this encounter is the old lady in the background of the Skype video. There's just something creepy about the concept of that happening. And the fact that it took place in a small room, that somehow makes it even eerier. That's great stuff all around, Eric. And thank you for planting that seed in all of our heads. Be sure to check your background video chatters. And thanks again, Eric for taking the time to share. Now, did Santa give you what you wanted this year? Well, if not, you know where to find it. Get it your own self at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. We have all sorts of goodies. We're pretty much fully stocked. And we certainly appreciate the business. And a little spoiler here. We finally have felt penance on the way. This is a product I've been working on for quite some time. Now, there's a few variations we'll talk about next week, but the design is by Maximus Prime Art. Now, they're not here yet, but they have been printed. And I'm telling you now because there is a limited number of these babies, and they probably won't be reordered. So, don't delay. When you hear they've dropped, that's the time to bite. Now, this next one is a Bigfoot story from an unlikely location. Javier from New Mexico. The mic is yours. Hi, my name is Javier. 
I am currently in El Paso right now, but I want to submit my story of how I saw Bigfoot. Well, I didn't see, I heard it. So this was around June 20th of 2020. We went to Albuquerque and we decided to stop by my friend's house. And we decided to later that day go to a forest and try to go Bigfoot hunting. And later that evening, we actually did. It was around three in the morning when we decided to leave. Two, three in the morning. And then we arrived there at the forest and we start walking. We walk about two miles in. It's super dark and super quiet around one to two a.m. So really no one's out. Uh, we walk two miles in. We decide to sit down. And as we're sitting down, my dad's friend that we went Bigfoot hunting with, he decides to do his calls. So as he starts doing his calls, he starts doing these yells. He did a very loud one, very loud, loud one that echoed through the forest. And we waited like about 10 seconds and we hear this really, really deep, rumbly growl noise come towards us from where we went. We thought that was crazy. So he decided to do more calls. And yeah, we got more responses, which was kind of crazy. He did more, he did high-pitched ones, and he got low responses, and they were really low and rumbly. It was weird. And it, after a while, we were a little freaked out, but we decided to leave. And as we're leaving, from the left back of me, I hear another knock on wood, like if somebody knocked on wood, but no one was out. And I tell him, we sit down, and as we're sitting down, he does more knocks, but we get no responses. So as we're leaving, we have two groups. So there's one group, which is me in behind, and then the group in front, which is my dad's friends, and they're in front of us just in case. And we're walking, and he hears some sort of, not growl, but more like a hiss in a bush. And he tells us to stop, and he tries doing like a hiss back, but we get no response. It, it, it was weird, but other than that, we decide to go back to our car. And as we're going back, we're, we get in our car, we turn on and we're driving. I was laying down, but they all started freaking out. And I'm like, what happened? And they said that they saw some weird man with a bunch of blood on his shirt, covering his mouth, walking all weird like a penguin. It was weird. And they said that he covered his mouth and was walking all weird and it had blood on his shirt. And it really freaked them out for the rest of the night. I'm kind of happy I didn't see it, but it's also pretty freaky to know that they saw it. And it's a night that I couldn't forget. Other than that, I'm a huge fan of your show. appreciate Thank you for your time. Bye-bye. Thank you for the entry. Now, I believe the name is Javier, and so does my auto-transcriber. But if it's not, I apologize. On occasion, a certain name can be quite difficult for me to hear. Regardless, thank you for the entry. And my first thought here is that our caller was part of a good old-fashioned snipe hunt. A victim of a performance meant to scare the unknowing members of the group. Now, I've been both the victim and the perp in this situation. The former only in my childhood years, though. I still recall the last time I was duped. My dad and uncle left my cousin and I in a field in rural Indiana with a stick and a paper sack literally looking for the mythical snipe. That was all the education I needed to suss out that ruse from then on out. But I'm roaming off topic here. Now let's say it wasn't an attempt to freak Javier and his friends out. 
so maybe it was a pack of coyotes coincidentally responding to the Bigfoot calls, which I will say is something they do quite frequently all across the country. Or there's another monstrous option. Did Javier and his friends somehow find themselves in the right pocket in the land of enchantment? July is the busiest time of year for Red River. There's so many outdoor activities, including four-wheeling, fishing, and hiking. But if you ever come to this town, you'll want to keep your eye out for a mysterious creature. Legend has it, it calls these woods home. In Red River, people are murmuring about something big. Possible Sasquatch here in town. Bigfoot, that is. There's also a gentleman that came up to me in 2014 with some footprints that uh, he found behind his cabin that he recently purchased. And those footprints didn't make any sense to him, maybe 18 inches by seven or eight inches wide. And that's not the only sighting that's been reported, dozens over the years. People have heard tree knocking up here, the whoops, uh, large footprints have been found. There's been smells that are associated with, with Bigfoot activity. Now that clip courtesy of KOB Eyewitness News 4 out of New Mexico. And although many might not realize it, New Mexico has several Sasquatch hotspots. So who knows what was screaming into the night that evening. And regardless of what it could have been, I'm sure it was a spine-tingling experience at the time. So thanks again, Javier, for taking the time to share. Now let's head on west to my neck of the woods. Please welcome Alex from California to the program. Good evening, Derek. My name is Alex. I live in Hollywood, California. Tonight's story is definitely of great interest to, I'm sure, a lot of your listeners, as it specifically is an encounter with a black triangle in the sky. So the story starts off like this. It's 1998. A buddy and I are going for drinks in an old bar in Hollywood called the Burgundy Room. It's a Wednesday night, and we're sitting at the bar, and he says to me, Hey, what do you think we go to Las Vegas tonight? And I chuckled. Uh, really? He looks at me. Yeah, let's go. So we pay our tab, which wasn't very significant at that point. Hop in his 1998 silver F-150 pickup, and we head out on the 15 freeway north to Las Vegas. This is where the story gets a little interesting. About three hours into the drive, now the buzz of Las Vegas is worn off and we're pretty tired, trying to just get there now. Maybe too ambitious in retrospect, but we still keep going. We come through a town called Yermo, California, and we're driving and there's really no one on the highway. My buddy and I are pretty quiet in the car and you can see just a little bit of light off in the horizon from the setting sun hours and hours ago, but you can still see a little bit of that in the north, northwest. All of a sudden, the absence of sound envelops our car. It was as if everything just went quiet, but beyond quiet. We look at each other, at that point proceed to look forward through the windshield of the truck and up into the sky. And there, about a thousand feet above our pickup, is a giant black triangle flying overhead. It was so big that it blotted out the stars, and it had this 
non-existent hum, if you will, that just took all sound again out of the out of the world, if you if you could understand that. And we sat there and watched it then fly over the front of our car, and then it arced gently to the left, which is north and west over the horizon. We sat there and we looked at each other and watched it coast over the mountains, over the Mojave Desert. We were absolutely astonished and amazed by the size of this craft. And then we continued to drive and it disappeared. And about an hour and 20 minutes later, arrived in the the glittering lights of Las Vegas for a night of uh, gambling and festivities. But I can assure you that that uh, sighting of that craft stayed with us through our entire time there in Vegas and on the drive home that next day. So anyhow, I hope your uh, listeners find some appreciation in this story. Uh, I know back in the mid to late 90s, there were lots of Black Triangle sightings, and this is definitely one of them. Derek, thanks for your time. Thanks, Alex. Yet another of these Black Triangle UFO encounters. And talk about the perfect sighting to have one of these experiences. On a darkened highway, through the desert, into Las Vegas. I can almost hear the Unsolved Mysteries theme as I imagine the scene now. Now that's certainly great stuff, Alex. And thank you again for taking the time to share yet another Black Triangle experience with us. Now folks, I wasn't kidding when I said I had a plethora of calls to tend to. So to keep us rolling, please welcome Bennett from Massachusetts to the program. Hey, Derek. This is Bennett from Massachusetts. This story uh, took place in eighth grade for me. I'm much older now. I'm out of college. It took place in eastern Massachusetts. I'm not going to give the exact town, but it was in 2011, and it was definitely nighttime. It was very dark out when this happened. And basically, this is the only time I can definitively say I saw something in person right in front of me that I couldn't really explain. So me and my friend were walking to meet up with a group of friends and we thought they were at one of our friend's houses. We were walking over there and once we got in, we were very familiar with the place. So we kind of just walked in and went into the basement and there was no one in there. The lights were off, so we left and our friend's sister told us that they weren't in there. So we called our friends and they told us They were at a park that was nearby. So this park was basically just down a road. We had to walk around a block in distance until we were at this park that all our friends were at. And we get going down this road. And, you know, I don't really remember what we were talking about. It was, it's not really what I remember about this. But yeah, we were walking and all of a sudden my friend taps on my shoulder and he says, dude, like, very loud he, he and he nudges behind me indicating he wants me to look behind me and when I look behind me there's just a shadow standing there that definitely resembled a person but there were no features to make out besides what was probably hair and I instinctively thought it was an old lady but I was insanely surprised so I screamed oh my god you scared me and then 
I, you know, I thought it was a person, so I, I really expected some sort of movement. And yeah, that's not what I got. This thing was frozen, completely frozen. And I really couldn't make out a face or anything. Just really just a shape. And like I said, hair. And, you know, the fact that it wasn't doing anything just made me and my friends start taking some steps back. This thing was, I want to say, five or six feet in front of us. So we just started taking like slow steps back. Like what you do when you really just need to get away from something and you don't know what's going on. So we started stepping back and then we turned around started walking and we immediately peeked behind our shoulders and this thing had just disappeared and to this day we don't really know what it was i i was kind of instantly turned into a paranormal believer from this but my friend was always more skeptical i know he saw a face on whatever this was i didn't see any anything like that even though we were, we were both right there he always tried to rationalize that it was some sort of homeless person but eventually, I think I, I honestly convinced him that it, it's probably not what it was, just by, by the nature of what we saw. Our friend who lived in that house, actually, the one that we went into the basement of, always said he felt something weird living in that area. I don't really know too much about that. But yeah, that's my story, and uh, definitely a weird one. Uh, thank you, Derek. I'd love to hear this on the show. love listening to your podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Bennett. Now, it sounds like you're hinting that this might have been a shadow entity or maybe an apparition of some sort. But there are a few details in the story that could suggest something a little more cryptozoology-oriented. The blob-like shape and the visible hair are the dead giveaways. And the other detail that reminds me of, well, I guess, Sasquatch activity is the entity holding completely still. That's a detail I've heard from time to time from other Bigfoot encounters. It's almost as if the creature freezes in hopes that it will simply blend into its surroundings, which I suppose in a thick forest might be a decent plan, but in the center of a road would not have the same effect. Anyway, I'm certainly not suggesting that there's a Sasquatch loose in Massachusetts but perhaps broadening the perspective and exploring all the options might help shed some light on this darkened figure. Thanks again, Bennett, for sharing the entry. Now, before we fire off these last few calls, do me a favor and check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. Now, there's all sorts of bonus content over there, interviews, deep dives, as well as dozens of episodes just like this. And for all of you out there that have been pestering me for selling ad space on these episodes, you can get each episode ad-free for $1 a month by signing up to our smallest level. So it's a win-win situation. You're helping to keep the lights on and skipping the ads. Now again, that's patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. Okay, so this next one comes to us from a practical team member here at Monsters Among Us. Please join me in welcoming Teresa Z from California to the program. Hi, Derek. This is Teresa Z, and I think you'll probably remember I'm a longtime listener. 
I live in Southern California, about 15 miles north of Temecula, and this is my first time calling in because until this past Friday night, I've never had anything to call in about. I was driving home from work. It was dusk and clear around 5.15 p.m., and as I was about to pull into my neighborhood, I saw something in the sky above the rooftops of the single-story homes you know, in the neighborhood where I live. I didn't think much of it until I got a better look when I pulled over and parked. I can't say how far away or even how high up it was, but it was hovering, and it appeared to be cigar-shaped with two rows of very bright, all-white lights that were flashing in some sort of pattern. And it was completely still. It never moved. I wish I could have gotten closer, but I was afraid to take my eyes off of it, and my brain was frantically trying to make sense of what it was. After watching it for about two or three minutes, it just sort of quickly faded out and disappeared. I didn't call and report it right away because I kept trying to convince myself it couldn't have been anything, and I still think that, but part of me wonders. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I sure hope I see it again. Thank you, Teresa. As I mentioned in our opener, we recently did a little tongue-in-cheek award ceremony for some of our biggest listeners. Eight listeners and social media staples were awarded the soon-to-be-coveted Amongst the Award. Among the winners, taking home Fan of the Year, was our very own Teresa Z. The other seven winners were as follows. Repeat Offender Award went to David McKenzie. Most Stylish went to Joe Drevdahl. Best Instagram Stories went to Philip Azua. The Probably Sasquatch Award went to Eddie Yark. The Monsters Among Us Texas Ranger Award went to Alan Pesky. The Old One, in parentheses, the Cthulhu Award, went to Shelley Alexander. And finally, the Head of Security Award, or the Dragon Award, went to Chris Sevios. And I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. If not, I apologize, Chris. So a big congrats to all of our winners. Now, if your name was listed, be sure to check your mailbox. And for the rest of you, thank you for allowing us to have a little fun amongst the spookiness. And speaking of, let's get back to that with Teresa's story. Now, I happen to know roughly where Teresa lives. And it's only a few miles from the soon-to-be-infamous Borrego Triangle the zone of strange activity featured in our upcoming documentary. So hearing of something strange in the sky down there is certainly no surprise to me. So maybe a listener out there saw something similar that evening. Until we hear from them, thanks again, Teresa. Thank you, as always, for your continued support. And congrats on your amongsty. Well, this next one is a bit concerning. Please welcome Rick from Virginia back to the program. Hi, Derek. This is Rick from Virginia again. I'd like to thank you for airing my praying mantis story and the photo that accompanied it. I have another case your listeners will probably find very interesting. As you know, I was the MUFON State Director for Virginia for about five years, MUFON being the Mutual UFO Network. Due to the alarming correlation between the UFO phenomenon and the paranormal phenomenon, I've decided to devote most of my efforts to the to try and explain certain paranormal aspects that I encountered while investigating UFO sightings. So I became involved with, the, uh, with an organization called the Center for Paranormal Research and Investigations, 
They're also based in Virginia, if not the oldest, one of the oldest. It was started in May of 2000. We've got a case that I found rather intriguing. Back in spring of 2003, we investigated the case involving the sighting of orbs. The client who lived in Bedford County, Virginia, called us requesting that we investigate certain types of paranormal activity in her home. From what we could gather, the client's property dated back at least 300 years, including when the Native Americans inhabited the area and the land. The property consisted of a farmhouse, single-wide trailer, outbuildings, and a barn. The reports of paranormal activity involved seeing apparitions of a woman and a small boy dressed in period clothing, etc. During the interview process, we learned about an incident where the client witnessed several orbs in her farmhouse bedroom. In the early 80s, she was getting ready for bed, turned out the lights, and saw two orbs, one blue and one orange, hovering near her bed, just feet from her. They were there for a few moments before she saw the third one, which was yellow in color. After seeing the third one, she noticed that these orbs began to move in unison out of her bedroom, down the hallway, turned left in the foyer, and then right into the den. And she assumed they exited through the window in the den because the screen on the window had three circular discolorations in the screen itself. She said that uh, when the orbs moved, they moved like they were flowing water and very smooth in, in motion. She didn't feel any heat or any of the adverse effect from the uh, orbs at that time. When we talked to her, she decided to tell us that she kept the screen after renovating her house and replacing the windows some years later. She kept the screen in a barn. We asked her if we could look at the screen. She pulled it out and we noticed the screen had round discolored burnt areas on the window screen that looked somewhat unusual. Years later, she gave it to us because we asked that the screen be analyzed by one of our um, members. He was our science advisor at the time. He was a radio chemist. And uh, he took the screen and took it to a lab of his, which is in eastern Virginia along the coast there. He uh, kept it for a few weeks, and he came back with an astonishing report. He said that uh, after analyzing the screen, he found something very extraordinary. He uh, cut basically eight one-inch by one-inch samples of the screen itself, which included borders of the affected and unaffected areas. The samples didn't contain any carbon, something very disturbing. During this analysis, using a Kevix X-ray fluorescence spectrometer, model 770, I'm quoting from his report, he discovered the iron in the affected areas of the screen to have been replaced by a new isotope, that being cobalt-60, which is highly irradiated. It was his opinion that the iron impurities in the screen were barraged with a strong neutron flux. He said this can have very adverse effects on the human body. He told us that the client should have exhibited some type of radiation sickness. Uh, we went back to the client and re-interviewed her. And in the interview, she said that a couple weeks after the orb incident, she felt sick. She had the flu, she thought, for about two weeks afterwards. Another incident happened with her. In 2005, we discovered that she had to have hip replacement surgery. The doctor in her surgery asked her if she had ever been treated for cancer with radiation therapy. She told him she had not because he said she had tiny holes in her bones and in the prosthetic joint that was to be replaced. He said that was a characteristic of someone who had undergone radiation therapy. She was at a loss as to how this could have happened. Anyway, uh, we were trying to get the screen back to do an independent analysis, but we were unable to do so because it was so irradiated, federal law wouldn't allow us to take it out of this facility.
that's the story. I'm sure your listeners would be glad to know that uh, orbs could be very radioactive, and the moral is to stay away from them if at all possible. Thanks for your show, your podcast. You do a great job. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Rick. Now let's begin here. According to the Health Physics Society, the very high voltages that lightning produces can produce very high energy electrons. When they slam into atoms in the air, they can produce radiation, similar to what happens in X-ray tubes. So yes, lightning can produce radiation. So with that knowledge in mind, let's throw out at least a theory here. What if Rick's subject experienced ball lightning? Now I've shared a clip a few times of a man describing a similar experience one that was later confirmed to be the rare phenomena known as ball lightning. And here it is again, courtesy of WLVC, News 6 out of the UP. White, bluish ball come floating out of that room. Joe Vashan of Gwyn came up close and personal with ball lightning. He and his wife Rose were entertaining friends on a hot August day in 1980. Joe was making a drink when he turned around. I could see a light white blue ball just and there it was you're speechless when it happens you, you you don't experience anything except what's going in your eyes i was just staring I, I was in awe the ball entered the room from the hallway floated about a foot off the ground and touched the tv disabling it the whole event took about 15 seconds when the ball came into contact with the tv it imploded with a deafening bang and it shook the house so theories as to what it is aside The fact that these anomalies could potentially be radiated is a scary thought. And dare I say it will make us look at these floating orb encounters much differently going forward. For example, take Carrie's call from the state of Georgia. Hey Derek, this is Carrie from Savannah, Georgia. I was listening to episode of yours from January 2020 of a guy named Corey, I believe talking about balls of light in the sky. I had something happen that was very similar to that, but a little bit different, and I will preface this. So this is probably in the same years that Corey saw the balls of light off of Pooler, Georgia, or Savannah, Georgia. There's a nearby beach town to Savannah called Tybee Island, and I was a server there for many years, and on a clear summer day, I was getting off. It had to be around 5 o'clock, and I have to say, I did have like a shift drink. I had a beer in my hand, only one though, so it wasn't like intoxicated by any means. And I'm, you know, talking with coworkers outside, just kind of de-stressing after the shift. And the way that the restaurant is sat on Tybee, it's off of the main row, but it looks out towards the beach. You can't see it because there's condos in between my restaurant and the beach, but it's looking towards the horizon. So I'm just sitting there talking, and all of a sudden, everyone sees on the deck this fiery ball of light. It looked like a mini sun, and it was coming up over the other side of the hotel across the street towards the water. And I just kept remembering like squinting my eyes because I couldn't understand like what I was looking at. It was hovering and like going really slow. I know that it wasn't the sun. By five o'clock, the sun is on the other side of the island and everyone on the deck was staring at it. No one could figure out what it was. 
I don't really remember it leaving. I just remember everyone like, what is that? Um, so yeah, with Corey's story, there were little, little balls of light, but I saw a, it had to be the size of, I mean, it was pretty big. It wasn't like a softball or anything like that. It was a good size. I would say the size of a car, maybe pretty big. And it was like a yellowy, orangish, slightly reddish. It looked like the old school sun, not the sun nowadays where it's really white, but like a very golden orange type fiery ball. So I don't know if anyone else has seen this or if I'm just crazy, but I didn't go looking for this. I just saw it. So I don't know. Maybe you guys could help. Bye-bye. Thanks, Carrie. See, if the strange ball of light were radioactive, the entire restaurant could be at risk of exposure. And I don't know for sure that this is all connected, but given the way 2020 went, I wouldn't count out radioactive glowing orbs for 2022. So thanks for the warning, Rick, and thank you, Carrie, for sharing your story as well. Now, before I dive into this final call, I was saddened to hear of the loss of friend, colleague, and downright great guy, Paradelphia's Rick Pruitt, who lost his battle with cancer this past week. Our thoughts and sympathies are with his friends and family, and we thank and celebrate Rick for his contributions to the field, and he will be missed. Now on to a less somber note. Please welcome our anonymous caller from Parts Unknown to the program. Hey Derek, long time listener, first time caller here. Love your show. Just wanted to share a story about something. It didn't happen to me, but rather it actually happened to my father many, many years ago in Puerto Rico. He was maybe seven, eight years old at the time. Him and some friends or cousins of his were playing along the side of a country road, which was near his home. They were jumping off the side of the road into like ditches and landing into bushes just for fun. When at one point my father jumped off the side of the road into the bushes and once he climbed down from the bushes, he found himself face to face with some sort of being or entity. He described it as being humanoid uh, in appearance, a very human looking face. However, whatever it was, it had red eyes and it was covered in white feathers. And he got the feeling that it wasn't a friendly creature, whatever this thing was. And he didn't hang around long enough to find out what it was. When he first told me this, I kind of thought to myself, it does sound vaguely similar to a Mothman type sighting. I'm not sure though. Um, He was very young at the time. My father now is in his late 60s. Um, maybe you can just chalk this up to like a, an overactive uh, imagination of a small child. Maybe that's what it was. But he doesn't really like to talk about it very much. Because when he does, it even speaking about it gives him a uh, goosebump. But yeah, that's pretty much this story here. I have a couple other stories that I'll call back in the future. Love your show, Derek. Thank you, caller. Well, that's a fun one. Imagine running into something like that at the age of seven or eight. Hell, I can't imagine running into that in my mid-forties. 
But what exactly was it? I'm sure that's the question on all of your minds. Now, my first logical thought was that it was some sort of bird, an egret, a heron, a stork. But that's not really what was described. It's not nearly as exciting as any of the other alternatives. Also, you would think a seven- or eight-year-old boy would recognize a bird right away. So instead, let's begin with what our caller suggested. Some sort of Mothman-like entity. Now sure, some of the features described coincide with those of the Mothman, supposedly. But try as I did, I couldn't find any correlation between the island and the creature. There were no sightings that I could find reported from Puerto Rico. But given the location of the encounter, I of course do recall the original El Chupacabra reports from the 1990s. That creature was described as three feet tall with greenish skin, glowing red eyes and spikes on its back. Now reports at the time suggested that the creature also had the ability to fly, though no wings were ever mentioned. This information was simply based on the fact that footprints were found at great distances apart. So yeah, that's kind of close to what was reported. But that flap occurred in the 1990s. And best I could tell, the encounter from our caller's story took place in the 1960s. Now I wasn't able to find anything from that decade that raised any flags. But I did recall a subject that we discussed on a past episode. A legend from the 1970s that just might fit this bell. El Vampiro de Mocha, or the Vampire of Mocha. The year was 1975 on the small town of Mocha, which is located on the western side of the island. During the months of February, a farmer by the name of Augusto Vale woke up one morning to find his farm animals dead and completely drained of blood. When inspecting the animal carcasses, two orifices were found in the neck of the animals, as if a vampire had preyed upon them during the night. It was a strange thing to happen, even more so given the fact that Puerto Rico doesn't have any big natural predators. Months passed and the number of sightings kept growing. Cows, pigs, goats, and other farm animals were mysteriously found dead with puncture wounds on their necks and every single drop of blood drained from their bodies. This carried out until El Bocero, the local newspaper, caught wind of it and decided to cover this strange phenomenon. From that moment forth, the mysterious creature was dubbed El Vampiro de Moca, or Moca's Vampire in English. Now that clip courtesy of Wise Bear on YouTube. And before you go jumping to conclusions, branding El Vampiro the guilty party, I have one more contender I'd like to push into the ring. Now admittedly, I was not able to find much information on this subject at all but I thought the connection was too similar not to mention. There were legends among the pre-Columbian Taino people of Puerto Rico and surrounding islands of a man-sized creature that haunts the jungles of the island. A creature they called the Mosquito Man. A tall, skinny entity with red eyes, bent legs, and a proboscis-like appendage protruding from its face. Now the legend claims that the creature would raid their villages on the darkest nights of the year. That certainly sounds like a monster to me. So go ahead, cast your votes, place your bets, and decide for yourself. But whatever you do, make sure you join me in thanking our caller 
for sharing that amazing entry. Because that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And keep the party rolling by following us on social media. We have accounts at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget about that Facebook group. If you have a few seconds, please rate and review the show at Apple iTunes. And for those of you listening on Spotify, you can now leave us a star rating at the very least. So five of those bad boys would be greatly appreciated. I wish each and every one of you a safe and happy new year. And I'll catch you all next week with a brand new episode. And lastly, music from tonight's episode was provided by Co.ag Music, Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. So tonight's secret entry is probably sleep paralysis, right? Donovan from New Mexico. Why don't you go ahead and ruin our evening? Hey, Derek. This is Donovan calling from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I wanted to talk to you about my experience, and I'm hoping that at least some other people have had it. This took place around 2010-2011 in uh, Buena Park, California, uh, when I used to live there. So it had taken place at night. I just remember I had a really terrifying nightmare to where I was woken up suddenly, you know, in sweat and chills. But the crazy thing about it was when I woke up, everything around me, my bed, my walls, the floor, everything was all human flesh, like a flesh-like material. And I remember slapping my bed because I can feel the gooiness of the flesh all in my fingers. And me hitting the bed at that time had woken up my wife because she noticed that I was hitting the bed. So she got up and asked me what was wrong. I said nothing. I'm going to go get something to drink. So as I was going down the stairs, I didn't notice that my wife had followed behind me because even she was like, what's going on? So I went downstairs and I got my water. And as soon as I turned around, I saw my wife. But the thing about it was my wife's eyes were just pitch black. Like I'm talking like pitch black. It it just looked unreal. And I just remember staring at her eyes and just being struck by it. You know, it it was just like a what is going on moment. So anyway, she kind of just looked at me and was like, what are you looking at? And I didn't end up telling her what I what I saw and after that I pretty much just walked back upstairs and went to bed but I just thought that that was like one of the 
it still like haunts me to this day. I still think about it. I don't even know what happened, honestly. But thanks for letting me share my experience. Uh, I hope if anyone else has had this experience, uh, I don't want to be alone, you know. <laughs> but thank you again, Derek, for this awesome podcast. Love it. Thank you, sir. Sleep paralysis, right? I mean, for the sake of our sanity, that's what we're going to say it is, right? But if so, why is it that Donovan distinctly mentions waking up, sweat-covered no less? Talk about a weird one. Thanks again, Donovan, for sharing the call. And folks, do the man a favor and let us know if anything like this has ever happened to you. Thanks again, Donovan, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a good night. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.